Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, how are you? I am uh, slowly recovering from a weekend in uh, Washington, D.C. that uh, took it actually included a football game. Ah, yes. That's uh, that it, it, it's I've never actually been down to Maryland and like on their campus or for a sporting event or anything like that. Like, what is it like just just down there? Because I've driven past College Park and it's like it's just kind of weird, I, I, I suppose. I was, I guess, pleasantly surprised about the campus itself. You know, it felt like a college campus. You know, it's obviously different than Penn State, but um, you have these, this vision of, like, this very urban type of campus because you're 20 miles or less from downtown Washington, D.C. But it's um, it feels very collegial and, and whatnot, but it's, mm. you know, still different than State College. You know, you don't have the centralized tailgating. You have a stadium that's, I think, about half the size just about, and... Um, but it was great time, and um, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit. But other than, than one Yahoo sitting near us, um, we had a great time with the Maryland fans and uh, the Penn State folks that we got to hang out with. So, uh, yeah, all in all, a pretty good weekend. Yeah, and obviously you're all here for uh, our analysis of the big game, uh, Manchester City 2, Manchester United zero of uh, the champions went into old trafford and turned the theater of dreams into the stuff of nightmares uh for ole gunner solskjaer and his reds matt what were your thoughts on uh, a lot of the analysis has been on uh the failings of manchester united but what do you think about city going out there and i thought they made a statement in the title race i i agree that they made a statement <laughs> sorry i uh that that was uh, as much as I wanted Penn State to win, that was the far more important game of the weekend for me, and uh, it went about as well as one could imagine. But obviously, here to talk about the Penn State game, Penn State 31, Maryland 14, Nittany Lions moved to 6-3 and three on the season, officially bowl eligible, took a little bit longer uh, than we anticipated it was going to end up being, uh, but 6-3 and three on the year. Three and three in conference play story of the game. Jahan Dawson had uh, maybe the best game. I not even maybe the best game I've ever seen a Penn State wide receiver play. Eleven catches, two hundred and forty-two yards, and three touchdowns. Uh, we'll get to Jahan in a second, Matt. But I want to see if your answer is different than my answer to this because I was obviously sitting at home. I was watching. I was handling blogs, Twitter, all those sorts of things, and. I was a little bit nervous in this one. I don't think like like I think deep down I knew after Jordan Stout kicked a field goal to make it 24-14 with 6:33 left that Penn State was winning the game, but I didn't feel like really good about Penn State winning this football game until Jair Brown's 87-yard pick six uh, to seal it. Were, were you having a similar kind of uh, I guess anxiety is the best word? Right up until Jair Brown, you know, kind of put the nail in the squad there. Do you think a little bit earlier in the game, okay, I'm not going to worry. I think Penn State's got this. Well, I think deep down, probably when they went up 21-14, it kind of felt like, you know, it was going to, you know, they're, Maryland's not scoring two more two more times. You know, at worst, this is going to overtime, which is a whole nother uh, scab to rip off, I guess. But I think the last three weeks, last three games, I should say, have kind of scarred us all a little bit. And I think trusting the defense to do its job 
um, you know, takes a little bit more, but I think probably during that drive that, that resulted in the Jair Brown pick six, the fact that they weren't giving up that big play, and I can't remember how, exactly how much time was left, but you know, Maryland was taking a lot of time. I think there was close to a four minute drive by the time um, Brown got the pick. And at that point, you know, they're going down the field, you know, Maryland's making some plays. It felt like they were, it felt like they were going to need to hit a big play and save some time to be able to score twice. So I think kind of when you saw, you know, the ultimate Ben don't break that we're going to talk about here in a minute on that drive where they were, they were forcing Maryland to go, you know, up to the interception was nine plays. Um, it felt like, okay, they're, they're going to not do this in the easiest way, but they kind of, kind of have this under control. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, that's the easy answer, but to go back to what I was saying, I think at 21, 14, the long dots and uh, touchdown felt like, okay, you know, 21, 14, then they hold Maryland to a punt after um, you would have loved to see them take a little more time off the clock there. Um, but they, they, I thought they re- the defense defense responded well after that Dotson touchdown. Um, and you know, on the, this, the two drives later, you had the field goal drive that took some time off the clock. They moved the ball. They made it a two score game. That kind of sequence right there, those four drives, two for each team, I think kind of felt like Penn state putting the game away. Yeah. Dotson's t- well, Dotson's touchdown really did. That was coming off of, uh, a long Maryland draw. Penn State was up 14 uh, to six at that point. Came off a 10 play, 52 yard Maryland drive where the Terps came down on three minutes and 10 seconds, scored a touchdown to make it 14 14. And then it just felt like that, it felt like things could have started spiraling after that. Like a thing that I forgot about uh, was that. The two things that happened leading up to that Dotson touchdown were one, John Lovett opts to return a kickoff. He gets it out to Penn State 22. We've seen Penn State a few times. It's their standard operating procedure, it seems, this season, where if you get a if you field a kickoff, you're taking the fair catch, so you're just getting it at the 25. Lovett decides to return it. Maryland gets uh, gets to Penn State's 22. First play, Sean Clifford gets sacked for a loss of eight yards. Uh, and then the play after that was the Dotson touchdown. And that did feel like the kind of haymaker that, you know, as things looked like it was slipping, 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 Penn State throws that one punch from there, three and out for Maryland. Uh, Penn State gets the ball back. They have a three and out, but Maryland's next drive, first down on the first play of said drive, and then three plays and a punt. So, I, I, in retrospect, I can absolutely see why someone would think that. I was just a little bit concerned. Uh, It's funny, Matt, because I was a little bit concerned about Penn State doing what it has done all season uh, and route to becoming one of the, you know, five to seven best defenses in college football, which was gave up a decent amount of yardage. Uh, Maryland gained 419 yards on the day, 371 through the air, 48 on the ground. They had a little success moving the ball. They ultimately did not have nearly enough finishing drives. Why do you think, as you go back and you think about this game, you think about other games that Penn State has played this season, why they are able to just do this bend but don't break thing to the point that we've seen where they have played games against offenses that can score and the result has been 
Auburn scoring 20, Ohio State scoring, you know, offense scored 26, Maryland scoring 14, those sorts of things. Well, I think the biggest thing is with with the exception of, of the Illinois fiasco that we're not revisiting ever, ever again, is they've been able to, I think, largely make teams one-dimensional and reliant on pa- on the passing game. And there just aren't that many great passing games with the exception of really Ohio State, who they even were able to limit to some degree, there just aren't that many great passing offenses that they face in the Big Ten and really that you face around college football. It's just that's there aren't enough good quarterbacks around the country. Um, so I think they've taken the run game away from basically everyone they've played, and it's really hard for most college offenses, I think, to consistently drive the length of the field one-dimensionally with the passing game without making a mistake, whether that's an incomplete pass or taking a sack or penalties or turnovers. Um, And they've been very fortunate with turnovers this year, which is something that they've harped, you know, every coach harps on it, but I think it's something that James Franklin and Brent Pry have really made a a point of emphasis defensively over the last couple of years is to create more turnovers on that side of the ball, which they've been able to do um, with a ton of success this year. But I think it's just, um, and it's funny, I'm, as I've discussed on here before, I'm a Browns fan, and um, going into the, the Steelers game last week, the lot of, a lot of uh, talk during the game was about the Browns allowing the Steelers to, to go down the field, because they think that with a guy like Miles Garrett or a guy like Denzel Ward or, or someone like that, they can make that one play that gets a drive off track. And I think when you're one-dimensional, like Penn State's been able to do to most of their opponents this year, they've been able to get that one play, whether it's a, a big pass breakup or a turnover or a sack, something to get the offense off schedule where all of a sudden Penn State can be the aggressor on defense that dictate things as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, I mean, while you were mentioning that, I actually went back and looked, and I I think I had a feeling about this. I didn't know for sure, but uh, my hunch was correct. The best passing team in the Big Ten is obviously Ohio State, Third best passing team in the Big Ten is Maryland. So Penn State, you are almost playing into their hands by throwing the football. And my hunch is that they give up a decent – and I'm looking right here. They do give up a decent amount of yardage through the air. You know, they're a middle-of-the-road team in the Big Ten in passing yards allowed, middle-of-the-road in rushing yards allowed – and uh, total yards allowed. But that comes with an understanding that at a certain point, the field is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And as the field gets smaller and smaller and smaller, you're going to run out of windows to throw into because there are just going to be so many bodies all over there. It, it was a thing that we saw in the game against Ohio State, where Ohio State got into the red zone with some frequent, and you know Maryland got into the red zone a decent amount in this game too. But at a certain point, there's just so many guys flying around, so many big dudes, guys who are good at reading a quarterback, flying around in a space of – 10 yards, 15 yards, 20 yards, something like that, that it becomes so much harder to find that space to throw into. Penn State doesn't, you know, they're not always going to basically man you up and say, listen, you're you're just not getting the ball against our dudes. They do like to play a lot of zone and there are those little pockets of space. But again, 
when that space runs out, and I think we saw a, saw that in a pretty stark way in this game, it becomes really difficult to throw the football against the running game. Even with it, like to me, this is Brent Pry's biggest achievement. Penn State's running defense has been fine this year. My get they're again right in the middle of the Big Ten in rushing yards allowed per game. I'm going to venture to guess if we take the Illinois game out of that, they're going to be, you know, that's going to knock a good 20, 30 yards off of their yards per game allowed average. When you cannot run the ball against a football team and you have to resort to the pass and the team is that good against the pass as Penn State is, you're going to have a bad time, Matt. And that's something that I think we saw in this game. Maryland ran the ball, you know, I, just between their running backs, uh, they ran the ball 20 times. Uh, I'm not going to do the math, uh, but when you have sacks factored in, they ran for less than two yards per carry. So they had to rely on their passing game. They threw it 58 times in this. And I think if you're going to do that, you're just going to play right into Penn State's hands. Oh, yeah. I think the other thing that goes along with that is – they limit the big play. And it's something, again, that James Franklin and Brent Pry spent a ton of time talking about, um, you know, certainly to the, the media and the fans, but I'm, you know, certainly something that gets harped on to the team too, is don't give up that big play. You know, if you, if a team needs to go 10, 12, 14 plays to score, then your chances of getting that, that havoc play, whether, whether it's any one of those things, a turnover, uh, incomplete pass, a sack, ne- just a negative play in general the chances of that go up, the more you make them do it. And it's a reason why big plays have become such a staple of so many offenses and defense is trying to limit them because you can, you can shorten drives. You, you limit the number of plays needed to score. You limit the number of opportunities for a mistake to be made or the other team to make a play against you. If you can get those chunk plays and that's, you know, going back to the Ohio state game, they were able to keep the game close for as long as they did by really only giving up a couple big plays. It was the Trayvon Henderson run and the long Chris Olave reception that were really the two big plays. And with taking the, the, the strip sack and the, the fumble return out of it, those were the two plays that really made Ohio State's offense that day. Those were the plays that led to the touchdown drives as opposed to field goals because they got 40, 50 yards or more in one chunk. But by and large, they haven't allowed that this year. Even you know for all the the gut wrenching against Illinois, they were, they were giving up shorter non-explosive runs and that's how they, they held them to some ungodly low number in, in regulation. Um, and it's, it just goes back to, to that whole philosophy of, of lengthening drives, not giving up that big play and taking it and making the play when you have the chance, whether that's that sack or pass breakup or turnover. Yeah. And I, I actually went and looked, what do you think Maryland's law again, 41, uh, 58 passes, 41 completions, 374 yard, one yards in the passing game. What do you think the longest passing play Maryland had on the day was? I don't think it could be more than 20 or 25 yards. And there weren't that many of them. They had two receptions of 20 yards and that was it by, by the receipt. They passed the ball to, 10 separate guys, 10 separate guys recorded a reception. The longs for each of them, 15, 20, 13, 14, 20, 14, 14, 14, 9, 10. It's very obvious what Penn State was trying to do in this football game. 
Uh, I think that they were always going to have a little bit of trouble with how Maryland plays off, just like kind of inherently how Maryland plays offense. Like Mike Loxley and Danny Edos are pretty aggressive play callers and Talia Tagovailoa, when it works for him, it works really well. I, I, I said this to Nick on the spaces after the game, if his last name wasn't Tagovailoa, I think we'd be, we'd be a lot more impressed with how good he is. But I think his backyard football style uh, was always going to give Penn State some trouble. There were a few occasions where uh, he doesn't break the pocket like a lot of quarterbacks. It's very weird. Like he runs backwards and like diagonally and just like, rips it while he's on the run awkwardly and it leads to completions like a really good example of that on that two-point conversion play the snap he got it on the seven yard line he ran backwards and to the side like it was basically I, I believe it was right in the middle of the field he runs backwards and to the right hash six yards throws it off his back foot and like there was a pick in there but it got to his guy at the end of the day so I think that was always going to give Penn State some problems because I think Penn State like you mentioned Matt they rely on those havoc plays. Uh, but ultimately, they were able to get enough of those. They were able to do a really good job getting Maryland off the field on third downs. Maryland, four for 15 on the day on their third downs. Again, they ran for 1.8 yards per carry. I think that's probably the thing that stuck out to me. Is every It seemed like every time Penn State's defense needed to make a play against an offense that is just really good at making plays – they managed to come through. What were some major things from the game that uh, while you were there, while you were thinking of the aftermath stuck out to you? Well, I thought third down was, as you just said, a huge thing both ways defensively holding Maryland under, under 30% Penn state, I believe was 55% or thereabouts. Um, so again, you know, continuing that success on third down they had against Ohio state, which was really a revelation in that game, continuing that forward to this week. Um, I thought they were, um, for a team that I don't think anyone would have been shocked to see them be a little fragile mentally. Um, I thought they were very resilient. Um, you know, I talked about it a little bit as far as when it felt like the game was kind of in hand, um, that kind of whole sequence of getting the touchdown, um, or giving up the touchdown to Maryland and then going right back down the field with the big play to Dodson, even after the sack, um, to go up 21, 14 and then defensively getting, getting the stop out of that. That's been something that they haven't necessarily been consistent at um, for a number of years is that, that response drive. Um, it's kind of that, that baseball analogy, the, the, the response inning. They, I thought, played very good complimentary football there. They got the score. They held Maryland. They didn't come right back out and score again. But after their own three and out, they forced another quick Maryland punt, then went down the field and got that field goal um, to really put the game away. So I thought that... Um, that general resiliency um, really all across the field. And then I actually didn't notice it until um, Sunday afternoon that Lukita didn't play. So I thought not having him on the field, uh, he's been such a key player um, along the defensive front this year. You figure, you know, it's the fourth or fifth defensive lineman that they've count that they either have counted on this year or anticipated having available this year that they're down. I thought the defensive line played very well. I thought they, they only got Tagovailoa on the ground the, the couple of times they forced the, the intentional grounding. Um, I think they really um, impacted him enough where, like you said, I think that backyard football style gives a lot of defenses fits a little bit because he has a way of buying time. 
I think we saw a little bit of the, the good and bad from him, you know, over the course of the game, the full story with some of the great throws he made. And then some of those, the head scratching decisions, certainly on the interception, but there was another, a few, several more plays that, um, you know, really could have bit them, bit them hard that um, either just missed being made or, or something like that. But um, I thought, and we're going to talk about it here a little bit more. Um, they were able to establish a little bit of a running game, um, which the fact that the little bit of success they had running the ball is, uh, grounds for a little bit of celebration is kind of a testament to how much they've struggled there this year. Um, I thought Sean Clifford on a day where he wasn't certainly wasn't his best, um, you know, made plays when he needed to. Um, then obviously we'll talk about it here in a minute, but the Jahan Dotson show, you know, what can you say about that? Yeah. I mean, it, it was a very fun day for Penn state's offense. Only last thing I want to say, uh, kind of, again, going to, to some things that we uh, said we, we've said already, uh, I want to just highlight just cause I don't, we, we didn't do a particular, we, we, I didn't do that when we were going through the long, uh, receptions, how willing Penn state was to say, yeah, go ahead. Complete passes. We don't care. Uh, Maryland's, uh, top receiver on the day, a Conquo 12 receptions, 85 yards, 7.1 yards per reception. Jarrett, Six for 70, 11.7 yards per reception. Dyke, uh, 438, 9.5. Fleming, 538, 7.6. Maryland did something that I think you're supposed to do in football, which is look at what, uh, unless you're playing Georgia, the opposing defense is going to give you something. And they looked at what Penn State's defense was giving them. I think it's this is it's actually a really interesting comparison compared to uh, the Iowa game for anyone to watch that because Maryland's offense tried to attack that defense, and in trying to attack that defense, in trying to throw down the field, make plays that way, and obviously it was a little bit different at that point because uh, their number two receiver, the very good Dante Demas, is playing. Talia in that game, 16 for 29, 157 yards, two touchdowns, five interceptions. This game, they were a little bit more reserved. And they said, listen, okay, we know what Penn State's going to give us. We are not going to take it. We are not going to force anything. We're just going to try and take what Penn State gives us. And Penn State gave it to them and didn't give them anything beyond that. And I think that's something with how Maryland had to rely on the passing game because they just took the running game out of it altogether deserves a whole heck of a lot of credit. Uh, Moving to the offense, Matt, and uh, we'll get to the obvious thing in a second, uh, the obvious player in a second, but holy hell, dude, they they ran the football a little bit, uh, and I, I'm i blown away by that. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the numbers here, and I'm trying to do some math on the fly by taking out Clifford's stats and the team rushing. So they they on called running plays. They had over 100 yards rushing, and they probably averaged about four yards a carry, give or take. Um I thought that um, both Kevon Lee and Noah Kane um, looked the best that both of them had looked really all season. Um, you know, Kane, I, it's hard to look at him and, and, and wonder what if, just whether it's still just recovering or trusting the foot injury he had uh, early on last year and getting back healthy, or if it's, you know, something more long-term just the, re- the result of that. Um, but he, he looked to have a little bit more of a burst. You know, he was a little bit more decisive and, and, and being a much more uh, north-south kind of runner. And I thought Kevon Lee kind of showed for the first time really this year consistent flashes of what we saw from him last year as a freshman, kind of the same thing, finding the hole, hitting it hard, running decisively. Um, 
not as much dancing around trying to to potentially bake the break the bigger play. Um, so it it certainly wasn't perfect. You know, they they gave up um, you know a handful of negative plays with guys shooting gaps or, or miss blocks and things like that. But um, having some sort of consistency and um, allowing them to at least have the threat of the run, I think opened up a lot for the passing game over the, over the, the course of the game. Um, I can't remember for sure, but it felt like they really made a commitment to showing the run a lot early on. Um, then going back to the pass pretty heavily and then it kind of felt like they went back to that same mindset later in the game, going back to the run to set up the pass once again. And I think that threat, at least, even though it wasn't, um, you know, certainly what what we would expect given the, the amount of talent in that room, um, that threat of a run game, I think, was enough to create some of those holes for those big pass plays, catch and runs later in the game. Yeah, uh, Penn State on the day, just on Penn State's running backs, so taking Sean Clifford out of it, which, you know, they weren't. It's the one element of this offense that I'm, I don't want to say disappointed in, but like, I almost think they're saving, they told him, don't do this. We want to save it for next week. If just because he, you know, there was everything about Clifford being the healthiest he's been all season or whatever. Uh, he didn't really run the football. And I, that's just an element that takes this offense to another level that I really want to see. But Penn State's running backs, Kayvon, we know Kane, John Lovett, 25 carries, 109 yards, 4.36 yards per carry. Again, none of them really broke off big ones. Uh, Lee's longest was 15 yards. Kane's was nine. Lovett's was seven, but it was a slow and steady game on the ground for Penn State's rushing attack. I thought the offensive line, it's relatively speaking, had their best game blocking an opposing front. Like, still not perfect. You know, they still weren't uh, blowing dudes away at the line of scrimmage and opening up these, like, these gigantic lanes for dudes to run through. But I think they did about as well as they have this season. It's a really good thing to do before they play a Michigan team that I think they're going to have to run the ball against a little bit. And I think the big thing was, uh, listen, I've said it on this podcast however many times, like I just think Noah Kane is not the guy that he was in the past. I I think he was okay. John Lovett, I think, is a change of pace guy. But Kayvon Lee, to whatever extent, there is a dude in this backfield. He has to be the dude, and I think he was the most incisive, uh, the most direct. You know, he wasn't dancing. He wasn't doing some of the stuff that's annoyed me this season. Did it really, really well. Uh, And it's a thing for him to build on as Penn State gets into – this stretch run. Uh, only question I have for you, Matt, uh, with 14-24 left in the second quarter, balls on Maryland's 33, fourth and one, Penn State goes Tyler Warren package. Did you like them doing that in that situation? I'm, I've been in the minority on this really since it's become part of the Penn State offense, but I think they have had – some modicum of success. It's really been the one play where they've been able to in that, that fourth and short situation um, have some level of confidence that they can pick up the yard. I know it hasn't been consistent. Um, I thought, and this is hard to see from the game. I haven't seen a replay of it. I thought 
that there was a hole there, I thought Warren was a little indecisive with it. Um, the whole point of that play is, um, is you, you pull the backside guard tackle or, or tight end or, or some combination of those guys and you follow them as a lead blocker. And it felt like more of a draw kind of action from Warren. So without knowing the exact nature of how the play was drawn up, it felt like it was more poor execution than a poor play call. But um, I, I know the whole mindset of, um, you know, the offense or the defense knows it's coming. You've, you haven't thrown the ball out of that. You know, how are they going to stop it? I get, my response has always been, if you execute it the way you're supposed to, you're going to get that yard. Um, and whether that was a, a missed assignment by someone or a poor execution by Warren, um, I'd have to go back and look, but I was, I wasn't as upset about the call as I was about the execution, I guess is the best way to put it. I, I was a little upset with the call. One, because like I thought it was just a good opportunity to, you know, build up a little more confidence to Kayvon Lee. And then I, I think if you're running that play, one thing that they did there was I think they had Dotson coming in motion. I can't remember who the receiver was. And I think if you're running that play, it has to be snap and go. It can't be you fake that handoff uh, and pull it and waste, even if it's, you know, a quarter of a second, that's still time that could be spent trying to push forward and not giving them an opportunity to break through the line of scrimmage. Like Warren, I, I also think got a little, just a little too tentative. He didn't get the snap and just run forward. And I think that probably would have been a smart idea, but like it, that, that's, it was one of those moments where got reminded that, the there's a reason that there are running backs who run that stuff and that's a trick play and in that situation like i i get what you're saying like i i think at a certain point and this is nick's big thing with this package i want to see them start doing things out of this that are not uh not warren takes the snap and just barrels forward i think they need to start showing a little bit of flexibility uh, in what they do here. But in that situation, I want them to give it to Kayvon Lee again, just mostly just so he could, I, I could Lee or Kane or whomever just start to build on some of the confidence that I thought looked like was coming through during the game. Uh, one guy wasn't lacking confidence, though, was Jahan Dotson. 11 receptions, 242 yards, three touchdowns. Matt, I thought with how Maryland was playing like just their approach to defense. They were playing a lot of press man. They were putting Jahan Dotson in a lot of one-on-one situations. They were playing a lot of whether it was one high safety or two high safeties, whatever it was, they were just playing in such a way that if you have a receiver like Jahan Dotson who can win a one-on-one, he is going to cook you every single time. And I think Marilyn basically sat there and went, we dare you to have one player beat us. And that one player did not just beat Marilyn. They had the best game a Penn State wide receiver has ever had. Yeah, it was, you know, the, the, and I'm probably not remembering every little detail from this, but they obviously hit the big play and the double move for the game, the first touchdown of the game. And then it felt like, I don't know if it was a quiet performance up until the big touchdown run um, in the fourth or catch and run in the fourth quarter. Um, But it felt like 
and, and I think it kind of is a testament to the way Dodson plays that it wasn't, you know, overly flashy. It wasn't, you know, the highlight reel catch. It wasn't the making guys miss in the open field. It was just really, really solid wide receiver play. Um, so as, as impressive as, as the game was, and I don't mean to take anything away from that. It felt like a very, um, I, I can't think of the right word to say this without making it sound bad, but it, it wasn't that blow you away performance until you look it up and like, holy crap, what a day he's had. Cause he just, he, he made, made plays and he did it in such a, a non highlight real way in a lot of sense, in one sense of the word that I think it almost makes me appreciate him more, the kind of player he is and how, um, and we talked about this a little bit in the slack earlier, how impressive he's been from a recruit, even before he got to Penn state to where he is now that he's not the biggest guy. He's not the fastest guy. He's not jumping out of the gym. Um, he's not, you know, six, four and, and bodying guys up. He's just a complete wide receiver really in every sense of the word and how much better he's gotten over the times from a recruit to now, but even just year to year within the program, you know, I saw something earlier. Um, I think he's come close to doubling his numbers basically every year since his freshman season. And um, no, it's just, he's, he's been a lot of fun to watch because you've watched him improve from year to year and you've watched him become this elite wide receiver who is going to have a great NFL career by maximizing what he has and working really, really hard to get better within what he is. Um, you know, you talk about the great yeah. wide receivers that Penn State's had with Allen Robinson and Chris Godwin, um, you know, going back to, um, you know, my era and Bryant Johnson had a couple of big years, Bobby Ingram before that, um, OJ McDuffie, you know, you can go on and on. And you, you put his production up there with all of them. He's just gone about it so differently from a lot of those guys because of the type of player he is. And again, that's, that's a huge testament to him. It's a huge testament to the coaching staff, the strength staff, to, to getting everything they've been able to get out of him um, and turning him into this, this complete player that he's really become. Uh, Dotson in the first half, five catches, 79 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, obviously, he had that big one for 38 yards uh, on the score. So like Matt said, a quiet-ish uh, rest of the half for him. Uh, you take out that 138-yard score. He had four catches for 41 yards. You know, a respectable half. Extrapolate that out over a football game, 882. Like, you're happy with that. Second half, 663 and two. Uh, fantastic football player. Uh, and again, a guy that Maryland – there are the two approaches with it. Do you put all your focus and energy in stopping one guy or do you basically say, we'll let that one guy feast and whatever happens happens. And what I, I think it's easy to point to that second one and say, well, obviously the dude's going to have a big night in that situation or a big day, whatever, you know, whatever kick, kickoff is, but that's not always the case. There have been plenty of examples over the years in football where a team says, listen, we're going to – in football, in basketball, in soccer, I'm sure in hockey, in whatever, but baseball, even if you want to go with like intentionally walking Barry Bonds, where teams will say, listen, you're going to get yours. 
We understand that. There are other guys who we are going to stop, so we are not worried about that. And it still takes a special player to punish a team for that, and Dotson punished them in a big way. Like that, the first touch, obviously the second, third touchdown. Yeah, because the second touchdown, uh, you know, nice, nice grab. The third touchdown was the one where uh, he went long, he went really long. The first and the third touchdowns, there were just moments where he looks like he's going to do something. And then I w- I've been thinking all weekend, what's the word to describe Jahan Dotson? And to me, it is sudden. When he decides he's going to do that sudden thing, if you give him a chance to beat you on that, he is going to. He stuck his foot in the ground and on that first uh, touchdown. And Nick Cross, a very, very good football player, a guy who was a very high four-star, Penn State wanted him real bad as a recruit, got spun around and there was nothing he could do about it. On that long touchdown, there was just like this little gap of space and he looks like he's doing something, looks like he's doing something, boom, he runs right into it, gets the football, takes off, and there's nothing you could do about that. I think there were four guys, four or five guys surrounding him and he just ran past all of them. There is... He is just such a marvel, Matt. And this game was an opportunity to show exactly why. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Is he the best wide receiver that we have seen wear the blue and white? I will make the case for why I think he is in a moment, but I want to let you go first. I, I While you were talking, I kind of, the word that came to mind, and it's, it's not really a word, it's a, a phrase, so to speak, but... He's not flashy. He nothing he does. It's not KJ Hamler that you know gets the ball with four guys around him, you know, kind of does that stutter step, head fake, and all of a sudden he's got acres of, of open ground. He's so efficient with his movements, and like you said, so sudden with them. His change of direction is so elite that even though he doesn't have that make you miss ability like a KJ Hamler does, for example, he makes you miss. It's just in a different kind of way, and it's not that flashy. Highlight, highlight reel kind of play all the, all the time. As impressive as the 87-yard run was, it was setting up blockers, it was vision, it was that sudden explosiveness. He wasn't you know going one-on-one with guys and making them miss like K.J. Hamler did to Maryland uh, two years ago. Um, I, I'm actually going to interrupt you because there was a moment where he just had, it, it reminded me of the K.J. play, he just had like a little drag route and I think it was like a third and eight or something uh, a little bit later in the game, it was on a Penn State's field goal drive. Let me go find it. Uh, it was 45 yards. Penn State's ball on its own 44 runs a little drag route. And it reminded me of the KJ play where he just went from one hash to the opposing uh, opposing sideline. And if not for the fact there was just one dude pass there, he's strolling in there like KJ did. Like he he did something and I can't believe I'm saying this, that made me think, oh, that reminds me of K.J. Hamler. Because I just didn't think he had that in his game. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly. It was. You can make a case that would might have been the biggest play of the game um, up to that point for Penn State to certainly a third down conversion and also get down in, in the red zone to set up the field goal. Um, and I, again, he had the game, you miss some of these things so you don't get replays, um, certainly not, not at the visiting stadium. Um, it just didn't feel that as great as both plays were it felt different from the KJ play because it wasn't that highlight reel right. human joystick kind of stuff that you saw from from KJ but we, we were, were you know obsessing over 
small little details here. Um, going back to the question that started all this, um, I have a hard time with with deciding anyone is the greatest ever. I, I pulled up the the different records at Penn State, and there's you know so many guys on here, and you know Allen Robinson's 2013 season, um, I think is the best single season by a Penn State wide receiver. Um, the career that Deshaun Hamilton had, and he has the career reception mark. He has the single game reception mark. Um, then you have Jahan Dotson with the yardage mark, um, two of the top 10 single game reception marks. Um, you know, guys like Bobby Engram and, um, and Chris Godwin and Freddie Scott going back to OJ McDuffie in the late, early 90s. Penn State, I, you kind of forget it because it hasn't been the program's DNA, really has had a lot of really good wide receivers come in. Um, I would say from the time I was a student, which is really when I kind of start my fandom, where I kind of have a better feel for for some of these guys and what they did in their careers, I think he's the most complete receiver that's come through. Um, I think his, like we were just talking about, his combination of explosiveness, his hands, his the speed that he's developed, his sneaky strength, um, I think makes him that most complete receiver, but you know, what, you know, what makes the best receiver ever? Is it being the guy that does all that? Or is it a guy like Allen Robinson who had a hundred yard, a 97 reception, 1400 yard season, uh, his last year, uh, at, at Penn state, you know, you're, you're nitpicking over little details here, but, um, he's certainly among, among those guys that are, that are the best ever at Penn state. You know, I think it's really a matter of what you value in a wide receiver that, that allows you to separate those guys. But, um, he's in the discussion and I, I wouldn't begrudge anyone for thinking he's the best ever. Yeah. I, 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 I'm like you, like my, my, like mile marker is when I enrolled as a student. So I'm in 2010, which I'm, I'm seeing some pretty good, pretty good wide receivers in that time. Uh, I think that someone on Twitter said to me, a uh, souped up version of Deshaun Hamilton. And, you know, it's not meant to be a slight against anyone uh, it's just, that's what he does. Uh, to me, I think that Allen Robinson is the most vertically explosive receiver that Penn State's had. When Penn State needed a play, he was better than anyone else that I've seen so far. You know, he was Mike Gusecki-esque and just go up and get the football. And A-Rob was so good at that. He was so smooth and so natural and all those sorts of things. Chris Godwin is the most physical wide receiver that Penn State has had when he has to outstrength someone. I'm taking Chris Godwin over anybody else. KJ Hamler has that quickness, that shiftiness, all that. And to me, when I look at those guys and then I look at Jahan Dotson, if I'm ranking all of them in those attributes, I think Jahan's a half step below Allen Robinson in that vertical explosiveness, a half step below Chris Godwin in that physicality, a half step below KJ Hamler in that speed and that shiftiness. And I think he is the best hands of the bunch. So like when I look at all that stuff, I'm like, my goodness, this is a guy that just does the end. It's a point you mentioned. He's so good as a route runner. He's so good as a blocker. He's so willing to do all the stuff that you have to do to be a really good wide receiver and not just coast on talent. Like he's special, man. Like, and I hope that we all get the opportunity in these next couple of games. Cause like, it's my assumption that he is going to the NFL after this season. If he doesn't want to, God bless him, but go to the NFL, Jahan, you should go make NFL money. You will be a first round draft pick. 
just take it all in and appreciate it because that guy is just he's special from a guy who was the number of 192 uh, recruit in the country in his composite score. Uh, he was the number 36 wide receiver in his class in composite. And actually, 24 uh, seven had him as the number 76 wide receiver in his class. A guy that didn't have really any, a, any like attributes that made him special. That, like there were, you know, he had stuff in his game that was impressive, but nothing that made you go, oh, that guy is something else. What he's turned into has just been spectacular, like truly nothing short of spectacular in a big way that we're going to be able to see him shine over the rest of this season is if Sean Clifford is able to continue to throw the football well in this game, Matt, 27 for 47, 363 yards, three touchdowns. Uh I thought he was okay. I mean, I think that he put up really good counting stats. I don't think he was like dominant, but I do think that on the occasions where, and it's been a thing with Clifford throughout his Penn State career, when he's got that time to be strong, stand tall, stand confident in the pocket, he's not missing throws. And I think that was basically the story of the game. When he got the chance to sit in the pocket and let it rip and just look comfortable out there, he was able to do some really special things. Yeah, I think – are you with me that, that we're – I'm just completely sick of the Sean Clifford debate at, at this point? You know, is he good? Yeah. Is he not good? It's it, it, Sean Clifford is a very solid college quarterback. Um, he's had games where he's been really, really good. You know, the Auburn game immediately comes to mind this year where he, you know, had, what, four incompletions or something like that. There's been really bad games. You know, the, the Illinois game, you know, where he was beat up um, certainly comes to mind. He's had games like that, you know, certainly last year. Um, but I think what we saw on Saturday is largely what Sean Clifford is. He's he's going to miss throws. Um, you know, some of them, I think he had a couple that I would classify as drops. I know there was one that went right through uh, Lambert Smith's hands. Um, I want to say there was one that Parker Washington just missed too, um, that just missed big plays. Um, there were a handful of others where he just missed guys down the field, you know, on some of those scramble plays and, um, you know, playground kind of throws. But, you know, guy puts up and, you know, he got some help from catching a couple of big catches and runs from, from Dotson. But if a guy puts up, I got to pull the stats back up here real quick. Um, you know, 363 yards and averages, you know, cl- probably close to eight yards of, uh, per attempt. That's a pretty good day. Three touchdowns, no interceptions. He took care of the ball. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's what Sean Clifford is. And it's generally when he's, healthy and playing at his his normal level we'll say then you know Penn State's gonna be in every game and is gonna win most games you know if he plays like he does the re- plays like he did Saturday the rest of the year they are going to have a chance to win every game left on the schedule I I, I think I agree with that uh, Maryland uh sacked him three times didn't record a quarterback hurry uh a nice game out of Clifford, I think, altogether. I mean, I the point that you made about the debate about how good is he, whatever, like, I think that a lot, this is just a general college football thing, not a Penn State thing necessarily, but I think that college football fans tend to watch two quarterbacks. It is whomever the quarterback or quarterbacks are for the best team in the country – and it's their guy. And when you are 
throwing on a uh, random college football game and you're watching a guy like Bryce Young, who's a five-star crazy talent, or you're watching a guy like Caleb Williams or C.J. Stroud, uh, even those guys at those big programs who may not be super talented but are in really good situations, a Stetson Bennett, a Desmond Ritter, uh, Anthony Brown, you know, the guy we're going to see this weekend, Cade McNamara and Peyton Thorne. When you're going from that to a guy who is a not per, you know a good but not perfect player in a good but not perfect situation, you're inherently going to see a guy, see a step down in the quality of football. And like I like I think Sean is a good player, and I think that like you mentioned, when he is in situations where he's able to get into a rhythm, when Jahan Dotson is getting open. Uh, we didn't see – it was interesting. We didn't see a ton of Keandre Lambert-Smith and Parker Washington in this game. And, you know, a big reason why is because of John. Uh, but when he's spreading the ball around and he has options and he has guys getting open who are not his first read, the passing offense is able to take off a little bit. And then, again, you add that element of the quarterback run into it where – and this is something that we'll talk about in a second with, uh, when we do a very quick preview of the Michigan game when you, he has to get out of the pocket – and he is able to take off and run. If you can get 40, 50 yards on the ground out of Sean Clifford, that adds a brand new dimension to Penn State's offense that other teams have to deal with. Uh, this game, five carries, negative 12 yards. There are sacks in there, obviously. Uh, but as long as four yards on the day, I wouldn't be surprised if that changes against Michigan. Uh, Matt, let's hand out a game balls. Who? Let's hand out game balls. Who gets your one for Penn State's offense? Who gets your one for Penn State's defense? Well, a game ball for the to John Dotson feels incredibly inadequate. Um, so I'm going to go with Kevon Lee, um, just because it, we've we've heaped all sorts of praise on Jahan Dotson, deservedly so. Um, but I think it's worth mentioning that you know he was a, I think a big reason why Penn State was able to f- have some success. I think, like I said earlier, it opened up a little bit of the passing game. It opened up some of those short um, throws over the middle by getting uh, Maryland's linebackers um, to respect the running game enough to open up those holes. Um, Defensively, uh, I thought Jair Brown played really, really well. You know, the the pick six speaks for itself, but I thought he was really solid making tackles. Um, I don't know if he was was credited with any pass breakups, but it felt like he was around the ball a lot. Um, You're starting to see him put together what, you know, the flashes that we saw from Jaquan Brisker a year ago that kind of makes you see you know, the, the light bulb's gone on. He's he's that playmaking safety that uh, they, they expected when he came here from Lackawanna. Um, so I, those would be my two. Uh, yeah, I am I am just going to cower down. I'm going to say Jahan Dotson, like but the best performance I've ever seen out of a Penn State wide receiver. I don't know how you can say anything other than that. Uh, you, you you obviously did, but that was because you said he was obviously the best player of the game. Totally respect that. Uh, and then Brown obviously has uh, deserves it. A funny thing about that game that I kept thinking was, boy, do I feel bad for Tyrese Mills, the three-star safety from Lackawanna in the upcoming recruiting class, because the last two guys from Lackawanna set the bar real high. Uh, but I'm actually not going to go with Brown. I want to give Brandon Smith some love. Uh, nine 
tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, pair of pass deflections, really, really good game uh, for the young linebacker. But yeah, Dotson and Brown are the obvious choices to uh, Penn State, uh, uh, two Big Ten players of the week, Brown on defense, Penn State, uh, Jahan Dotson was the uh, co-offensive player of the week. Uh, let's look ahead this week. We'll, we'll have plenty of Michigan content in uh, the coming days. We're going to have a couple of Michigan podcasts. I have a friend who's going to be hopping on from one of the uh, several Michigan publications out there. But the Wolverines, 8-1 and one on the season, number 7 in the polls, coming off of a 29-7 win over Indiana week before that uh, was their big loss on the year, 37-33 to Michigan State. Game kicks off at noon on ABC from lovely Beaver Stadium. Uh, Matt, I I think that Penn State can win this game. I also think that it's going to be really, really, really hard for Penn State to win this game. I, I'm fascinated by this game because I think up until two weeks ago, there was this mindset that Michigan was a, a run first team. They weren't really able to throw the ball. Um, and then they came out and Cade McNamara just had a ball game against Michigan state with almost 400 yards and, and two touchdowns. Um, he did have the interception in there uh, that sealed the game at the end. Um, I am, I am fascinated to see Michigan against by far the best defense that they've faced this year top to bottom. I think Michigan state is very, very good against the run. I think on, uh, we saw it against Purdue this weekend. Their secondary is certainly a weakness. That's not the case with Penn state as we all know really well. So I'm really, really fascinated to see Michigan's run game against Penn state's for the most part, pretty sound rushing defense and putting more of the game on Caden McNamara's shoulders against Penn state's really, really talented secondary. I think, not to overly simplify, but I think that's the matchup of the game is is Michigan's offense against Penn State's defense. Um, Michigan's defense, you know, is you know different coordinator. They're doing things differently, but they're still really solid. Um, you know, Michigan State was able to run all over them with Kenneth Walker, um, but who hasn't Kenneth Walker run over this year? I was going to say he does that to a lot of teams. Um, no, I think this is going to has the the potential to turn into one of those old school, you know. A lot of, you know, a lot of punting, a lot of field position play. Um, I, wh- where I think Penn State has the edge is, one, by the way, Pat Fryermuth, touchdown reception for Pittsburgh. Oh, brother, I, I know. I am overjoyed. I'm allowed to be happy about this one since it didn't come against Cleveland, but um, I digress. Um, I think where Penn State has the advantage is – they have they have done a good job with the exception of how Illinois came out with 17 offensive linemen and ran the ball right at them. I think despite Michigan's the 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 narrative out there that they are, you know, a physical run first team, which they certainly are, they're not going to go about it like like Illinois is. They're they're not going to abandon kind of this hybrid power running spread offense that Josh Gass and Jim Harbaugh have kind of set up. Um, but I, I'm, I'm really, really curious to see if Michigan is able to, to find ways to score against this bend don't break defense because they don't have that big play threat um, with Ronnie bell out for the year. 
And um, their, their big play threat is really Blake Corum, who it sounds like will be healthy enough to play, but how close to 100% is he after having a, an ankle or foot injury it looked like against Indiana this past weekend? Um, I don't know if Michigan will be able to do enough offensively without the big play threat to, to score enough. With that said, is Penn State's offense, is Sean Clifford the, the dual threat guy that, as you said, makes the offense reach that next level? Um, can, are, are they going to be able to do enough? They're going to need to run the ball to some degree. Um, it, it's, a, it's a really fascinating matchup. I think it's a very different game as we sit here today than what we thought it was a month ago when, you know, when, where each team was at that point versus what we've seen from them since then, certainly in Michigan's offense, showing more of that, that downfield passing threat. Yeah. I, I, the, uh, the update that was given after the game by Jim Harbaugh on uh, Blake Corum, who's spectacular. Like I love watching that dude play football. I, I love watching him and Hassan Haskins. I think they're just a really good thunder and lightning to uh, the backfield. He said, uh, uh, doesn't think it's a serious injury, somewhere less than serious. Uh, Hassan Haskins told him that he'll be back soon. Whether that, whether soon means this week, whether that means in a couple of weeks, who knows? Uh, they have a really talented youngster behind them in Donovan Edwards, uh, who's going to demand Penn State's attention a few plays. But uh, to me, the big things are, I, I'm glad you mentioned Cade McNamara, who I think is fine. Uh, but he's not the, uh, you know, he's not a game-changing quarterback. Michigan actually, and I'm going to ask plenty of questions about this later this week, they kind of shoot themselves in the foot with a two-quarterback thing that is uh, very obviously designed to convince five-star true freshman J.J. McCarthy to not transfer anytime soon. It's very weird. Uh, but McNamara is a talented player, a really sound player. Um a little more dynamic than a lot of game. Like he is kind of in that game manager mold, but he will attack you down the field a little bit. So I am interested to see that. And like you mentioned, Matt, they don't really have uh, a super mega big play threat. Like Andrell Anthony did some really nice things against Michigan state, but they lack the dude who's going to throw that haymaker in the passing game. It's going to come down to the running game uh, and how Penn state is able to, a, a Penn state defensive line that, as we all know, down some dudes, uh, while they're not going to go full Illinois, they are going to throw a bunch of dudes in the line of scrimmage and try and win up front and give space for Hassan Haskins, who's a very hard dude to tackle with just one guy. The interesting thing to me is that other side of the – actually, uh, while we're here, I'll just mention it. Uh, Michigan's second in the Big Ten in scoring offense, uh, third in total offense there, uh, right in the middle in seventh in passing offense and first in rushing offense where this game gets really interesting to me is Michigan's defense. They are second in total defense. They are second in passing defense. They are uh, sixth in rushing defense and they are third in scoring defense. The thing that scares me so much about Michigan's defense is we've seen Penn State's tackles, Cade Wallace and Rasheed Walker be turnstiles this season and from and Michigan very well might have the two best defensive ends to the best defensive end duo in the country in David Ojabo and Aiden Hutchinson I think that Penn State is going to have to use the fact that both of those guys like to pin their ears back and get to the quarterback 
uh, against them. And they're going to, again, that's where I think you basically say, let them rush up the field and open up a little bit of a lane for Clifford to run into. But even when that sort of thing opens up, Josh Ross is a very good defensive back. Daxton Hill is a very, uh, Josh Ross is a very good linebacker. Daxton Hill, very good defensive back. Penn State's going to have its hands full in this game, Matt. And, uh, I think if you ask me right now, I'd pick Michigan, and I don't know how that will evolve as the week goes on. You're, what, what is just like, if you were to make a very preliminary prediction for this game, where would you put it? Pe- Pe- um, uh, before, before I mention that, uh, I believe, uh, let me pull this up, Penn State is, yeah, a one-point favorite. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's... If this was on a neutral field, I think Michigan better by a field goal is probably about right. But um, it, it's still Penn State, Michigan. It's still, um, you know, even though it's a noon game, it doesn't have the the luster that we thought it would have a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's still, you know, really the last big home game of the year. It's, I think, probably. Ohio State's a bigger rival in a sense, but I think Michigan might be more hated um, for <laughs> any number of reasons. So it's going to be a juiced-up crowd. Um, it's a game that they've won two straight now. They've won two straight at home as well. So it's, what, three of the last four. Um, and and to be perfectly honest, I'm not sure, and I ran into this in the Michigan State-Michigan game, thinking that... that um, you know, I think on paper, Michigan's the more talented team of those two. But I have a really hard time trusting Jim Harbaugh in big games. <laughs> um, and I don't, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people listening to this going, well, what about Penn State's guy? And, you know, you can certainly make those arguments too, but James Franklin has a few big game wins under his belt. And he's have, has a couple of them at home, especially. And... It seems weird to say, but I, I go back to that. I think Penn State has been the better team in these types of games, certainly in the last five years, um, where you just really can't point to a Michigan game or a Michigan team that has performed well in these kind of spots. You know, this is kind of, um, you know, the, Michigan needs to have this game. There's a lot of pressure on them to have any shot, you know, going into to Columbus or um I guess they host Ohio State this year, but in a couple of weeks, it, it, it doesn't matter. It's it, it's a it's a <laughs> big big game for Michigan, and I don't trust Jim Harbaugh in those types of situations. He might prove me wrong, but I I guess I would probably go something like Penn State twenty four twenty. That that's fair. I mean i I just think the stuff that Michigan is good at is designed to beat this Penn State team more or less. And I I, I don't get me wrong; there is no human on earth who hopes that I am wrong more than myself, but we will see as this week goes on uh, how things play out. Matt, any final things to say before I wrap up this pod? I'm done talking. Excellent. You go to bed, and everyone, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, make sure you're subscribing wherever you go and get your podcasts. If you use Apple Podcasts, please go and leave us a five-star review. Keep reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that is to go out and buy some shirts. Matt would love to mail you some, so please make it a point to go buy one or two sometime soon. And make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels. If Penn State beats Michigan, I'm going live after the game, and I'm just going to be real obnoxious. So it'll be fun. Uh, One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.